pray that you continue to move today and minister to uh, each one of us uh, personally, but also corporately as a, a church here. That God, we're the church. Your people are your church. It's not this building or what goes on, but God, it's us. And we thank you for that. We pray you'd come soon. We pray, God, that uh, you'd speak through your word to all of us this morning. And God, that you'd have your way. In Jesus' name. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. Why don't you turn and greet somebody? The holy hug. All right, so if we go long today, it's your fault for loving each other so much. Don't blame me. <laughs> but we started at 10 anyway, so technically we don't, you know, we have an extra hour and 15 minutes, right? Preach it, lock those doors. Yes, thank you, please, James, for the water. <laughs> I'm up here going, where's my water? And James goes, hmm? <laughs> I love James. Um, but we're not studying James today. Sorry, buddy. We're in a, <laughs> if you need a Bible, why don't you raise your hand, and uh, these kind gentlemen, thank you, bro, uh, will bring you a Bible. You're going to need it to make sure I'm not absolutely not heretical. <laughs> um, and James, when you get back here, could you put a little more light, please, up here? I just can't see the Bible. That's kind of important. I'm, I, you know, Chuck Smith would teach, and he'd be like this, and you would know it was like memorized. I mean, I'm like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> but today we're going to be in uh, Thessalonians. Uh, we're actually, uh, let me be all cool and put the graphic up there, official. And uh, I'm blessed to have the opportunity, I don't know if you guys are blessed, but I'm going to be here for the next uh, few weeks in April, commuting back and forth between here and Maryland. Uh, God's been doing an awesome work down in Bethesda, and just to see him move, I just kind of got in my car, you know, I'm the dumb guy who got in my car and went down there, and God's doing stuff, and I just show up and go, yeah, <laughs> awesome. You know, you really don't have to do much when the Lord's doing the work. Um, but for the next few weeks, um, we're going to be going through Thessalonians, uh, if you were in youth group in January and February, I apologize. Well, you're going to get to hear it again and hopefully learn something new. But we're going to be going through this awesome book. Um, it's one of my favorite books. It's about the end times. It's a, a blessing to read. It's not all about the end times, but it does talk a lot about it. And I hope and pray that you're going to be blessed by this study. Um, so without ado, I'm going to start a timer just for kicks because I'm not going to pay attention to it. <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. Sorry. Any more jokes? Sorry. Sorry. It's not, so, it's not so funny when you don't know how long it's going to go. But it's only 10 verses. How long could it really be, right? But Thessalonians. Originally, I titled this message Raised from the Dead. And we might keep that title. But as I was going through it again and reviewing it, um, I might retitle it. Much, much Assurance. Raised from the Dead and Much Assurance. How about that? We'll do a double title. And again, I'm not that creative when it comes to titling these things. Uh, there's just a verse that sticks out, and that usually I just crop and make the title. 
But Thessalonians, uh, if you want to be cool and be Greek, you can call it Thessaloniki. If you're actually Greek, you probably correct me on that. But in modern times, um, it's actually considered sort of a co-capital um, uh, in Greece. Um, it's uh, sort of like uh, New York and D.C., where D.C. You know, is the actual capital of America. But when people think of America, they tend to think of New York or Hollywood or something like that. Um, it's a rich city. It was a port city. Um, you know, uh, there were actually there were youth riots a few years ago where the Greece, as you all know, if you heard they've been defaulting on their debt and um, talking to Germany and trying to get their money and their debt talked down and all this other stuff because their economy is in major trouble. And a few years ago, they had uh, these youth riots where the kids went out and rioted in the streets because there were no jobs and other things going on. Um, and so it's it's still a city that exists today, and I love seeing that because. Wow, it's a, the same city, uh, Salonica now, but it was Thessalonica then, existed then and is still now. We're in America, you know, we have cities that are a couple hundred years old, but we just don't have the same length of history, um, you know, at least for our European history in America. But again, like I said, Greece is now in a serious financial crisis. Serious financial crisis. I think the Lord allows these things to happen that we might turn to him, um, but really they're in trouble, and it's really kind of, Something to watch, see how that gets handled, because the way that gets handled is probably going to be a model for the way other countries and other debts are handled. But in ancient times, it was a very similar city. It had 200,000 inhabitants, uh, historians say. And that doesn't seem like a lot. You know, Orange County has about that many. But back then, that's a lot of people. You know, uh, there were uh, less people on the earth then, and that was a big city, especially considering you don't have mass transit, no electricity, no plumbing. You know, uh, I don't know what they had. But it was on the main Roman east-west interstate. And I've been doing a lot of driving on 95 up and down from New York to uh, D.C. and New York to D.C. And I know it goes all the way down to Florida, but I'm glad I don't have to go that far and grow a mullet and get like a farmer's tan and all that stuff. But um, it was on there. It was like if you were driving on the Roman, you know, east-west interstate, you would see a sign that said Thessaloniki. You might pull off and get gas and get your, you know, $8 coffee. <laughs> That's only $2 elsewhere because you got to rest up. But it was a major city back then. It was also a major naval station uh, for the Empire of Rome. You know, so there's a lot going on down there. Um, the church in, in, in Thessalonica was started by Paul, a guy named Silvanus, or Silas, you might read it, and Timothy, Paul's protege. And it was started pretty quickly. You know, it was three weeks the church started, elders were saved, and more, and it began to grow. And I think it's cool that, um, oh, we'll get to that later. I'm jumping ahead in my mind where my notes are. But it was started quickly, and it grew quickly. And, you know, outward growth necessarily isn't a sign of the Lord's working. I mean, if you go eat all that cheesecake, there'll probably be some outward growth. And that's not this, oh, the Lord's working. (laughs) Well, it kind of. I mean, he made your body and cheesecake. But um, it doesn't always mean healthy growth. But here we see when God's doing something in a place where where people haven't been reached before, and then it begins to explode, God's working. I mean, just like in that video we watched earlier. But it's also probably the earliest surviving letter of Paul to the church is written around AD 51. So that's around 20 or so years after the Lord ascended and uh, is seated in heaven. But before we start, I'm going to ask a question. What is important to you? What is important to you? What do you value most in life? Is it your education? Maybe you're really smart. I've met a lot of really smart people down in D.C., and a lot of them work through the government, which makes me kind of scratch my head. <laughs> if you're smart, and how's that? Anyway, but maybe it's your friends. Maybe it's your career. Family. Money. 
I don't know what it is, but what's most important to you? What has the top rung in your life where I'm going to do whatever it takes to get there? And sometimes maybe you have to think about it. You have to go, well, I think this is the most important thing in my life, but what is my life really showing is the most important thing. And Father, again, your word is the most important thing that we're going to look at today. And I pray that it would be clear. And Holy Spirit, you would teach us and guide us and correct us and instruct us in righteousness, God, that you would bless us, your body, today. And uh, in your name, amen. We're going to get through all of verse 1 here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, and God the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Very similar to a lot of the other openings you might read in these New Testament letters. But something that sticks out to me right away is Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. And the importance of having partners in the gospel. That it's not a one-man show. Yeah, there's one guy up here teaching the word right now, but this isn't about me. This isn't a one-man show. You guys are all here. There's more of you out there than there are up here today. Because God wants to use this silly guy to help you guys do what he's called you to do and be who he's called you to be. And it's more people than that. And it's never about just one person. And I think that's why it's great, you know, when, when I'm going to Maryland and I'm seeing God's already calling this person to do this. God's been putting on this person for this. And when I kind of come down and we're all kind of a part of the same thing, that God's doing the work. And it's not about, I'm going to come down and this is how this is going to go and this is how this is going to go, but that God's doing something. And we all just kind of get the plug in and be a part of it. And that's sort of the mark of a true ministry, that it's never just about one person. It's not so-and-so ministries. You know, not that there's anything wrong with like Dr. Stanley or Franklin Graham or anyone that uses their name necessarily in the ministry, because I see in their ministries, they're not the focus of the ministry. But I think a lot of times we see ministries where it's like so-and-so ministries, and it's all about that person and how you can get that person a new jet or how you can give to that person and they'll send you something. And it's, you know, is that really the focus? Is it really... Jesus being the focus. But also that we need partners in the gospel because if it's a one-man show, it gets very dangerous. It gets very dangerous because people are fallible. We need accountability. We need checks. But that more people need to come together in the gospel because that's the way it gets done. We see it in the Bible. Twelve disciples. All these other guys that follow Jesus. All these different letters. You know, we got 66 books written by was it 44 authors or whatever in one Bible? It wasn't just one guy sitting down and writing down the whole thing. Yeah, the Holy Spirit did that. But he used all these different people of all these different walks of life to come together and what? Further the kingdom of God. Because I guarantee that God can use each one of us in different ways. He can also use us in the same way. But there's probably something in your life and in my life that God will use to minister to someone specifically that, that someone else might not be able to do. There's probably something that you've gone through or are going through, as Corinthians says, when God comforts you in those things, you then in turn comfort others, that you can now reach someone else that I may never have the ability to speak in eternal life because I've never been through it. You know, I may be able to, uh, you know, sympathize or empathize, whichever one it is. I'm able to share some words with them and pray with them. But there might be a deeper connection that you might have with them because you've gone through something different. I mean, there's nothing more powerful than going through something hard and, you know, I've been through hard things before and people have shared nice things with me and it just didn't mean the same as someone who I knew had went through something very similar and would just sit next to me and put their arm around me and say, I know. And that meant more than how many verses they shared from loving people, close friends, because I knew they knew what I felt. And what does the Bible say? That we have a great high priest who is acquainted and knows what we go through and knows that we're but dust, right? 
so Jesus knows, but also that we need to be in this together, that it, it should never be a one-man show. You know, the pastor is there to teach, to lead, to help, but the body does the major work. The biggest role is done by you guys. I just come here Sunday morning, I prepare and come and, and share a message for a little while, and, and you guys go, how much longer? <laughs> but then what? We all go out there. We all have heard the word. We've all spent time with the Lord. And then we go out and do the work of the ministry. So the Bible says that the leadership is there to equip the saints for what? The work of the ministry. That I think in America, we've come to think that this is the ministry. And yeah, there is a ministerial value to this and and how it equips the body and encourages them and brings correction and instruction and all these other things. But really, the real work is out there. This is like you come into the pit stop you know, you grab, you know, your bagel, your coffee, you get a word from the Lord, you get some correction, you get some prayer, you pray for someone else, and then what? You go out there. You know, I've heard of some people going out here lately, going to a neighborhood and evangelizing, and the stuff that God is doing there, I'm like, yes, that is it. I need to go do that. You know, it's like we stir each other up, because if we just come here, and we plug in, and, you know, we hang out, and then we go out there, and we don't use it, well, what's the point? You know, why are we here? You know, I mean, if you're new or if you're hurting and you just need to come in and get fed and you go out and you don't share with anyone all week, fine. I'm not telling you you have to. You know, sometimes there's a need for just to come in and rest and get fed. But really, the end goal of our walk is to walk it out. It's to not sit it out in here. Um, and I'm glad you're all sitting because it's, it's nice and warm in here. Sunrise service last week, all our toes were numb because we were all standing outside at the freezing cold. Um, uh, but really, get out there. You know, you're, you're called, you're, you're equipped. I'm not anything more special than you, and I know you know that. <laughs> that God has a call and a purpose and a plan for your life. And if it's just to get built up right now, that's fantastic. But know that there's a hope for you. Whether it's your business world, you're in ministry, that you guys are the ones who do the work. I do the work too, but we all do the work. It's not just here, it's, it's out there. We need to go where people are. Jesus did, right? He came to where we were. He didn't ask us to climb a ladder to heaven. He descended right let's go on let's read the next few verses verse 2 uh, we give thanks to god always for you all making mention of you in our prayers remembering without ceasing your work of faith labor of love and patience of hope in our lord jesus christ in the sight of our god and father knowing beloved brethren your election by god for our gospel did not come to you in word only but also in power and in the holy spirit and in much assurance as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. It says here in verse 2, we give thanks to our God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope, that he makes mention. He makes mention in his prayers. Prayers can be short. Prayers don't have to be this long, flowery, Oh, Father, art thou in heaven? And, you know, if you speak in King James, that's fine. <laughs> but speak to me in King James as you speak to God in King James. If you don't speak to me in King James, why do we speak to God in King James? You know, we can talk to God, but it can be short. You know, you're driving, Lord, help me. You know, <laughs> you know, I've been doing a lot of that in Maryland, and apparently I'm not the only one who thinks that. Everyone who lives down there says people are bad drivers in Maryland. But I'm like, you guys all live here. <laughs> but it's funny. They can be short. You know, whatever comes to mind, the important part is that we're praying. That's something the Lord's been showing me a lot lately is, wow, I've missed out on a lot of prayer opportunities over the past few years. And not that I wasn't praying, but it's like, man, sometimes I just need to be reminded that the importance of prayer, you know, foundations are laid in it. That's where the power is. 
You know, it makes life much easier when things are prayed for. You know, you start stressing a little less. You start not caring because you're like, I prayed for it. God's going to take care of it. You know, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18 says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. And everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. What's the, will of, what's the will of God for me? What's God's will for my life? And yeah, is it to marry this person? Is it to have this job? Is it to live this place? Yeah, those things probably tie in. But what's one of the main points of God's will for your life? That you would rejoice always. Oh, <laughs> was I rejoicing when I was running a little late this morning? Pray without ceasing. Are we praying all the time in little things throughout the day? Sometimes, you know, my brain is always going, and sometimes it's easier just to pray a little bit and think about it, especially when I'm driving. But in everything, give thanks. Do we give thanks when hard things happen? Well, that's we should because God's allowed it for a good purpose in our life. And I know that's hard to hear. I know that's hard to live out, but it's what the Bible says. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you, that we be able to rejoice no matter what, talk to God whenever we want, and give thanks for everything, even when the world goes, what are you thankful for that for? Like this says, in the sight of God, because God sees... God sees, guys. That will either scare you or bless you. God sees me taking out the trash. Yeah, God, look. I'm doing what you want me to do. Oh, I hope God doesn't see me making this mess over here. <laughs> you know, it's either going to scare you or bless you. Depending on your behavior. And that's a good thing. And I'm not saying that this is a works thing, that you need to do good things to please God. But that when we are doing those good things, we're not really worried so much. We're kind of like, oh, yeah, okay, if God catches me doing this, that's cool. If God comes back right now, good. <laughs> you know? You know, we should want to please our dad because he loves us. And, and what does the Bible say about how do we please God? It's faith. Faith pleases him. That we would put our faith in what he says and what he has for us. But verse 4 says, Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. Your election by God. Now, here comes the controversy. Election. Is it free will? I choose God? I've got right and wrong? Or is it sovereignty? Well, I have no choice in the matter, and God's the one who chose me. I'm God's kid, and he chose me. Well, it's both. Well, how does that work? How does that work? Well, Romans 10 says, in verse 8, But what does it say? The word is near you, and in your mouth, and in your heart. That is, the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. You know, Bible teaches both election and free will. The Garden of Eden. God put them in the Garden of Eden. God told them what, do everything except this one thing. And he stepped away for a minute. And they kind of did whatever they wanted. You know, they were elected to be in the garden. They were created to be in the garden, but they chose to go the other way. And yet God elected them, well, I'm going to save you, and I'm going to create a, a path for you. You know, the Bible has verses on both, and, and, you know, I can't really explain that. I can't really say, well, how does this work, and how does that work? I'm not God. I just know it does work, because the Bible tells me that I was elected, and I was, uh, works were prepared for me before the foundation of the earth, and yet there was one point in my life when I wanted nothing to do with God, when I would curse God. And then there was one day when, I turned my heart towards God. And, well, was it really God turning my heart towards him? And you could sit around and pontificate all day about it, but then you're going to be sitting around and wasting your life. It's Both are true. 
we should just believe it and say, okay, great, God, you're God. I don't need to know everything you know. I don't need to be you, and I'm going to go on and serve you and love you because you elected me and I chose you. You know, God knows what you're going to choose. That might be one way to explain it. God knows you're going to choose something, and, well, that's it. Isaiah 46, 9 through 10. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from the ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. God knew what was going to happen in the end from the beginning. You know, sometimes maybe we've seen the movie before, and someone asks us, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Just watch. It's a movie. Just watch. It's a movie. I think God's sometimes like that in our lives. Like, God, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? <laughs> I was like, just watch. Just watch. Just sit back and watch. It's better if you just watch and enjoy what's going to happen. You know, because it's more fun that way. It's exciting that way. Revelation 1.8. And sometimes if we knew what was going to happen, we might want to change it. <laughs> I want to go, oh, I don't know, God. I don't, want, I don't really want my car to break down next month. I kind of need it, you know? But God's like, well, I have something better for you. <laughs> I got you a jet. Revelation 1.8. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. God is Almighty. He can do it. You know, it, He knows what's going to come with your life. He knows what's going to happen tomorrow. And that's why He says, don't worry about tomorrow. You know, today has enough trouble of its own. Let's just... Hang out today. Let's not worry about what this afternoon's gonna, when it's going to come, when this message is going to be over. But let's just, you know, worry about, well, what does God have for me today? What does God want me to do even this moment? And that's been the biggest blessing in the past six or so weeks. Yeah, it's been trying, and we're thankful for all our friends and family who have helped us out and put us up. But it's been day by day. All right, Lord, what do I do today? Spend time with the Lord? Okay, I probably need to go down to Maryland today. Oh, I get a phone call? Okay, time to come back to New York. Oh, okay, we're going to meet today. Oh, all right, a job offer? Oh, okay, two job offers. Oh, okay, great. Oh, opportunity to miss or something. It's like I've gotten so spoiled this past month and a half not having to, to work and just doing ministry in life. It's like, man, it's going to be hard going back to day-to-day job in May. But really, I'm not worried about that. That's a couple weeks away. I'm going to enjoy this next three weeks of vacation. Believe me. <laughs> but really, I like to compare it like this. Have you guys ever seen Princess Bride? And... I'm only bringing this up because, the, if oh, I can't bring it up, can I? Well, I can't bring it up. So <laughs> basically, there's this cover, and the cover says Princess Bride, and then you can flip it over, and it says Princess Bride again. Some people get tattoos like that. We're like, what does that say? And then they tell you, and like, oh, I see. And then you flip it over, and it says something else. It's like, I think that's the same thing with election and free will. One way it says election, and then you flip it over. And it says free will. You know, one, one side of the door to heaven is choose heaven. And then you walk in and you turn around and it doesn't say exit. It says you are elected. You know, it's both sides of the coin there. But God's invited everyone. That's the key. John 3.16 says that Jesus didn't die for some people, for people in North America only, and you can forget South America. No, it says for God died for everyone. He gave his son for the whole world. So, well, that says that everyone's been elected, but not everyone chooses it. It's like a, an invite. You know, you invite someone to a wedding, but and you want them there, you prepared a plate, you paid I don't know how many dollars for that plate to have food on it, and um, they just said, nope, i got something else to do that day. But like what verse 5 says, For the gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. You know, it says that the gospel does the work. 
the gospel doesn't work. You know, the gospel says you've all been elected. The gospel is what people respond to. But not everyone will respond like we talked about. It's up to us. It's up to us to respond to it. You know, we don't need a flashy message. Certainly don't have that today. We don't need free mugs at the door or, you know, a complimentary car wash. You know, there's cheesecake. <laughs> Maybe I'll get some of you say, man, cheesecake was so good. God must be real, you know. But that's not going to save people. That's not going to do the work. That's not going to change your life. You may walk around with a Christian t-shirt, the Christian mug, the Christian bumper sticker. And say, yeah, but your life's not any different. Because the gospel is what changes your heart. The fact that Jesus died on the cross, preached captivity to captives as he was dead on earth and rose again by the power of God, and now is eternal. That's the life that gives us new life. That's not being shocked back to life by the EMTs when your heart stops. It's not even like Lazarus, where Lazarus died, and then a couple days later, Jesus brings it back, and Lazarus has to go around. Well, I'm not, I don't have the flu anymore. <laughs> now what? It's not even like the people who came back to life when Jesus was resurrected. It says that the dead people came back to life and walked around Jerusalem. You know, I was talking to a friend the other day. I love that verse in the Bible, because zombies are in the Bible. <laughs> but they're not all gory. But imagine, you're dead, and you come back to life, and what's the first thing you do? Uh, is, uh, you know, chili still open? <laughs> I'm a little hungry. <laughs> uh, let me go get chilies. I'll tell you about Jesus later. I'm a little hungry. What do you do? <laughs> you know, or you're hanging out at chilies. You're like, Uncle Bob, <laughs> you were dead. I know, I know. <laughs> you know, like, what does that look like? It's not even that, where they end up dying again. And that's real stuff. That's in the Bible. And we tend to gloss over it and think, oh, you know, I'm just going to come to church and raise my hands and read the Bible and live my life. No, we have a resurrected life where Jesus died and came back to life to never die again. That, yeah, we may die or we may be raptured, but that the life we have on earth here now is the same life that we can live in heaven. Except on earth, we have to deal with sin. We have to deal with our flesh. We have to deal with taxes. You know, Tuesday or something, right, guys? Wednesday? <laughs> you know, the book of life says that we're already in, but we choose to be blotted out or to be kept in like those wedding invitations. It's up to us, guys. Do you want to go to heaven? Uh, yeah. Well, then let's go there. I like that it says much, much assurance in this translation. And the word, I'm probably butchering it, is uh, plethophoria, but it means full assurance or most certain confidence. And I looked it up because I thought it was something else, but it's not. But it means to bear, to bring full, to make full, to cause a thing to be shown to the full, to fulfill the ministry in every part, to carry through to the end. I love that, to fulfill the ministry in every part, that God wants to fulfill the ministry of Jesus Christ in your heart, in your life, to every part, that not one part of your life, not one stone would not be unturned by Jesus, that your life could be made completely brand new and resurrected. And not just your old life kind of made better, but a brand new life. That's the abundant life that Jesus talks about. The things that have been accomplished, to, f- to fill one with any thought, conviction, or inclination, to make one certain, to persuade, to convince one, to be persuaded, um, you know, and I think of the two words that are probably not related, but I'm going to say them anyway because I thought of them. Plethora and euphoria. This full assurance of the resurrection and the gospel's work in your life is a plethora of euphoria. That you have all this assurance, this plethora of insurance, and you can have what? Euphoria. Yes! It's all taken care of. It's all taken care of, guys. Every sin you've ever done is taken care of. You can leave it. Leave it! What are you playing with it for? It's taken care of. It's like... You know, you get the bill from O&R, and you're like, oh, okay. And then someone else pays it for you, and then you pick up the bill, and you're worrying about the bill for the rest of your life. It's paid. What are we worried about it for? 
the same thing. It's the joy of having all your doubts, all your questions, and all your sin answered for. Answered for. And the Bible, guys, points to the answer for everything. Jesus. You have a problem. I know it sounds simple. But you have a problem. The answer is the person of Jesus Christ. It's not some 12-step program. It's not some government bailout. It's Jesus. Lord, I have this problem. What's your answer? Get a job. Okay. (laughs) Lord, I have this problem. (laughs) You know, I'm not even going to go there. (laughs) You fill it in. But we have three things, I think, here. The assurance of the message, that's the gospel. We have the assurance of the messenger, that's Paul, Savannah, and Timothy, and the life that they lived that proved the message was real. But also the assurance of the message giver, the Holy Spirit. The Bible says the Holy Spirit is our guarantee of salvation, but that if God's given this message through this book and it's cohesive, we can be assured that it's God's word because it plays out. We can't prove it wrong because it's not. But verse 5 says that what kind of men we were among you for your sake. Paul says what kind of men we were among you for your sake. That's the importance of a godly example. That when the message is given, there's a godly example to go along with it. And that's not a show that goes on on Sunday and then the pastor retreats. But that the lives of the leadership, yeah, there's probably things broken. There's probably things wrong because we're all people, right? It's just, I'm the foolish guy who has to be up here and share with you guys today. Too bad. (laughs) But really, we're all people. And God's doing a work in each one of our lives. And God's going to use you in each way. But that the work would be backed up by the life. The word would be backed up by the life. You know, it's how we learn. It's how we teach. is by a godly example. You know, you all know someone, maybe, maybe in your own family, maybe you even at one point. Like, I remember sharing the gospel when I didn't know the Lord, and the person's like, just did the same exact thing. How can you tell me I'm going to hell? And the Lord was like, I got saved like a week later. You know? The example needs to match up to the words and the words to the example. You know, maybe we had someone share with us and we go, well, that's a good word, but I can't really eat it. You know, I think of like if the waiter came out (laughs) at the diner, you know, his hands were dirty, he was sick, he just looked like, you know, he had something, some terrible virus and he like coughs on your plate and goes, here you go, here's your prime rib. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, I know it's prime rib, but, man. It's also how we learn, you know, sometimes a lot of things I've learned about life and Christian life and practical Christian life and ministry is by just seeing godly men live out a godly life. Oh, that's how he does that. Oh, he gives to people. Oh, he cares for people. Oh, he did this for me. Or, oh, he does that. Or that's how, you know, we learn a lot by seeing. Like, my kids will do stuff that we never taught them how to do. You know, I shared a long time ago, Mia was, like, fascinated with our glasses, and one day we saw her go like this, and then wipe the glasses, and then put them back on her head. And I was like, that's fantastic. I never showed her how to do that. She just sees me do it. But what else does she see me do, you know? But it's the Holy Spirit. He's the vessel. He's the messenger of the gospel that, even if we share the gospel, even if we go through Romans Road and share, you know, all points of every message, If you guys take anything away today, if I take anything away, it's not because I did something right, really. It's because God was speaking to you. You know, God can even use a donkey to share the gospel. But really, it's the Holy Spirit who teaches us that. The Bible says that we don't even need a bunch of teachers. We just need the Holy Spirit because he's he's the one who instructs you on what's going on in your life. Because I don't know all the details. Even if I did, 
The only counsel I can give is, what does God say? <laughs> and this is what the Bible says. He's the one who's going to give you the deep and the good instruction. Now, that doesn't mean don't come to church. That doesn't mean don't have Bible teachers in your life. It doesn't have to be this church or anything. I'm not saying that. But that really, that our primary teacher should be God in our private time with him. And that this should be an encouragement and a blessing and a, and a build-up together to have us all sort of on the same page. Amen? That worked. <laughs> but let's go on and read 6 through 8. And you became followers of, of us and the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord is sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out, so that we do not need to say anything. I love that last part. He says, we don't need to say anything. You know, uh, we were kind of going through Corinthians together a while back when I had the opportunity to teach. And Corinthians is like this hard letter, like, come on, guys. <laughs> what are you doing? That's totally wrong. What are you doing? They're sinning in the church. Deal with it. Blah, 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 blah. And then this one, Paul says to the Thessalonians, I don't need to tell you anything. And I kind of feel like that today with this message. It's like, I don't necessarily even need to tell you these things. I feel like it's probably just a reminder for all of us. You know, you guys are doing the work in the ministry. You guys are loving each other. You guys are in the Word. You guys are out there sharing. You guys are being the body. You know, I don't need to come in here and say, you're doing this wrong, you're doing that wrong, because we're not. We're the body. I mean, maybe there's something wrong in your life, and maybe there's things that need to be corrected, but I think the overall theme of, as, as we go through Thessalonians, is, is, you know, I don't need to say anything. You guys know the Word. It's just, just a reminder and hopefully a refresher. But he says here that, in verse 6, and you became followers of us and the Lord. You know, there is a moment of conversion. There's a moment when you're not following Jesus. You're following money. Maybe, you know, you're following an ambulance somewhere. Maybe you're following, I don't know, a relationship all across the country. I don't know what you're following. But then at some point, that breaks apart. You lose them in traffic. You lose whatever the relationship leaves you. And you come to the Lord and you begin following the Lord. And the Lord says, well, go to church. Hang out with these people. Share with these people. Get rid of this in your life. Put this in your life. I love you. Come here. Move there. And you begin to follow him. And your life begins to look different because you're following. But there's a moment. Because it's not a spectator sport. It's active. You know, to follow somebody, you have to follow them. Like, I have no bigger pet peeve than when someone follows me, but that when they don't, when they don't drive fast enough. It's like, speed limit's 55, you're doing 35. <laughs> I'm trying to go slow here. I have a hard time going slow. So, <laughs> you know, it's like, Follow, follow close, follow close behind, you know? It's active, you know? If I said follow me to Chili's later, and man, I'm, I'm hungry, so it's coming out, I'm sorry. But <laughs> my breakfast is still hiding over there, I forgot about it. But um, <laughs> if I said follow me, and then you just stay here, I'd be like, well, they probably just don't like me, or maybe they got caught up, and I'll go get a table or something, you know? But really, with Jesus, like, we got to follow him, guys. If he's going somewhere, if he's leading you somewhere, we got to go there. You know, like for the longest time, you know, God gave us the word to go to uh, Bethesda, and we prayed about it for about a year. But at some point, it got to the, to the point where it was like, I have to get up and go now. I need to go down there. I prayed enough. God's confirmed it enough. I need to go down and seek it out a little bit more. Because if I didn't, you know, eventually God would be like, all right, I have to go use somebody else. And that would be fine, because God's going to do a great work no matter who he brings down there. But really, if I want to be a part of it, I need to follow where he's leading me to go. You know, Christian, uh, it used to be a pejorative. It meant little Christ. You guys are a bunch of Christians. You're a, little, a bunch of little Jesuses. You do everything like him. You walk like him. You dress like him. 
whatever. And that was sort of the, the derogatory term. Now it's sort of bigot. But, um, or closed-minded. You're not tolerant. But originally they called themselves followers of the way. After John 14, 6, where Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. That they're followers of the way. That Jesus was the way. So they followed it. Just like they followed the highway to go to Thessalonica. They followed Jesus to heaven and to godliness and to righteousness and to love. And that's the way we're ever going to get anywhere in life, guys. Is by following Jesus. Is by going the way he wants us to go. Because otherwise, we're just going to go around in circles. We're just going to keep doing the same thing over and over. And you know, we're going to get a little bit older. Maybe a little bit wiser. And we're going to go, that didn't work. So I'm going to try something different. And that didn't work. And I'm going to try something different. Like Solomon, he tried all these different things. And at the end, he goes, it's just about God. It's just about God. That's the same thing in our life, guys. You know, if you find yourself in a rut or in a grave with some grave clothes over your head and you wake up and you're like, whoa, I've been dead. Get out. Follow Jesus out of the grave, out of the rut. But I ask also, if there's a moment of conversion, if you're no different now, what were you saved from? Were we saved from anything? I lived my life. I prayed the prayer. But what's different? Now, I'm not saying there needs to be an immediate change. You go from complete heathen in the world to, you know, Billy Graham in three seconds. Maybe. <laughs> that wasn't my life. It's still not my life. Probably never be my life. But really, there's got to be a change over time. You know, maybe it takes six months. Maybe it takes 20 years for there to be a change. I don't know. But I think the way God works is like he'll point out one little thing in our life and say, hey, Let's take care of this right now. Don't worry about that right now. Yeah, I know that's glaring and people think that's the thing you need to deal with right now, but we need to deal with something else right now. And then you deal with that with him and he deals with something else and something else and something else. And then you turn around and look back and go, wow. Wow, look what the Lord did. Look what the Lord did in our lives. I'm sure a lot of us can do that and say, look back. You know, I'm driving the other day and I'm looking back. God reminded me of the last three years of my life, you know, uh, got married, was ordained, did youth group, had two beautiful kids, got called to go start a church in Maryland. What? Like, it's been a, like a whirlwind, but it's been fantastic. I look back, wow, that's all God. Because four years ago, five years ago, I said, I have no clue what God's even going to do with the rest of my life. Can he even use me anymore? I hope he is. You know, you guys haven't fled the building yet. I don't know. <laughs> Football's not on yet, right? But were you saved from anything? And that's what salvation is. is you were dead in something. You were in a ditch somewhere. Maybe there was a needle in your arm. Maybe there was a relationship you were dead laying under. You had a dead relationship weighing you down. And God had to resurrect you and bring you out of that. But if you're, not, if you're just still wearing your old grave clothes, and you're still stinky, like my daughter might say, you know, maybe there needs to be a change of clothes. Maybe there needs to be a change deeper that only the gospel can bring. I'm going to fix my life and come to church. I'm going to fix my life and read the Bible. Those things will help, but there's not, those, those will change your life. What's going to change your life? Jesus living in you. Jesus taking care of you and dealing with those things that we know need to be dealt with. But it says that the word was received in much affliction. That the Thessalonians apparently were going through a hard time. Persecution and probably hard times. And yet they still received the word of God. You know, and I think that personal hardship is where a lot of us really meet Jesus. Because sometimes when our life's going real well, we go, oh, I don't need God. i got a bank account. i got four good tires on my car, you know, I got a relationship, you know, all these other things we go, what do I need God for? I'll go to God when I need him. You know, sometimes when people have kids, they bring their kids to church, and then they go out and do their own thing to pick the kids up later. I'm like, well, if you know it's the right thing to do, you know, I, I just don't get it, I guess. But we need personal hardship. That's how I came to the Lord. It took me lots of years of me falling flat on my face at the end of my rope to finally repent. 
and fully repent and not just pray, God, get me out of this, but God, forgive me and just just do something different. You know, um, I believe the Lord said, you know, he would bless what's going on in Maryland if we would do it in his name and glorify him. He would bless it. Pretty simple equation. You know, he takes care of the results if we just do two simple things. But as I was sharing with uh, some of the people who came together, we had a prayer night there night for some of the people who are, you know, I see is, you know, they're going to be leadership because they, they're, they're everybody who's been involved, so they're definitely leadership. They're leading. Because we're all leadership in here, guys, whether you're up here or not. But I said, you know, God said he's going to bless it. And I believe him. But I don't know what that blessing is going to look like. Maybe that blessing is we're going to get sued in six months for not doing homosexual marriage. Maybe that means that we're going to be in jail in a year for preaching the gospel. I don't know what that blessing is going to look like. Maybe, you know, the blessing is going to be is going to add to the body and it's going to grow. I don't know what that blessing looks like because earthly blessing is not the same as heavenly blessing, a spiritual blessing. And sometimes I think why that verse we read earlier about rejoicing in everything, be thankful in everything, is because we see something in our life, it's hard, it breaks us, it hurts, and we go, this can't be a blessing, this can't be you, God. But it is. What did Paul say? That he was, you know, homeless, naked, shipwrecked, beaten, hungry multiple times. You look at Paul's life and you go, Paul, you're a failure. <laughs> go back to being a tent maker. What are you doing? <laughs> Get back on your horse. Your horse got you there faster. You're shipwrecked. Paul's going, no, God's told me to do this and I'm going this way. And it doesn't look like success physically, but spiritually there's success. And that's sort of the way I felt the past six weeks. It wasn't my plan to, to be homeless. It wasn't my plan to not have a job. Especially, like before I had kids in a family, I'd be like, yeah, I'm going to go live in the back of my car. It's going to be awesome. And then like a day later, I probably was out. But, you know, I need to take a lesson from Jay or something. But, um, <laughs> but really that now that I have kids and now that I've walked with the Lord and made a few mistakes and I go, man, that Lord, I don't want this to be me. This better be you. And I step out and it's six weeks of back and forth and not knowing what's going to happen. And God keeps blessing us with different things. God, spiritual doors are opening up for the church. People are stepping out. Things begin to happen. God keeps promising. And I keep, I'm going, literally two weeks ago, maybe it's three weeks ago now, I'm going, God, do I need to go the other way? Did I make a major mistake? Is this just me? Do I need to turn around? And my Lord going, you can't just wait for me to do something? Like, All right. I know what it looks like. I knew what it looked like. But now I have two job offers. The church is getting together, and I'll share more at a later date about the things that are going to happen in the next few weeks. It's like God's taking care of it. I just had to pray and wait and just take it day by day. You know, it was really like the, the joke about being in the wilderness. I thought it was a joke at first, like, huh, this feels like a wilderness experience, like the Israelites coming out of Egypt. And then like a, a couple days passed by, more days passed by, I'm like, no, this is legit. <laughs> Lord, don't let it be 40 years. Please, it's a two-week journey, God. <laughs> Please let it be quick. You know, it was two weeks from Egypt to the promised land, but it took them 40 years. That's like us, guys. It's a real quick step to go from not believing to believing. Sometimes it takes us 40 years to kind of go, oh, well, this doesn't work. This doesn't work. and Well, I'm going to take this with me. And then, you know. But God wants to do it. God wants to do it. You know, there's a lot of persecution going on in the world today, like in China and other nations, Islamic nations, and yet what? The church is growing. People are coming to Jesus, and they realize God is real. You know, I have some friends who have been missionaries for, in China for a while, and uh, it's so funny. They're like, you know, I think they have it harder, and they think I have it harder. Like, we go there, and people know communism doesn't work. They know the system doesn't work. And yeah, they're not alternative to Christianity, 
you know, they're open to other things as well. But he says people are open because they realize that the stuff that man does doesn't work. And yet in America, we're like, let's do the stuff that the Soviet Russia did. Let's do the stuff that Europe did. Let's do the stuff that all these pagan religions do. It doesn't work, guys. And maybe God's going to allow hardship to come in your life or even in our nation for us to get it. I believe God still has a plan for America, a plan for his people, especially the young people, especially the old people. But maybe it's going to take a lot of hardship for us to get it. Maybe it's going to take a major disaster. I'm not prophesying up here, it's going to be a disaster and it's because of this. But really, maybe God in his, in his sovereignty and in his love for us, he's going to let something happen in our lives that's going to cause us to turn to him. You know, King Ahab, I've been reading Kings lately, was a wicked king. And finally, at the end of his life, he finally repented. When Elijah came to him, and you know, he, he goes, whoa, and he finally repents. I guess Jezebel's out of the picture or something. But God goes, okay, you know, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll stop the judgment until your son's reign, you know, because you repented, but it's still coming. I read that one, man, if only he got it sooner. You know, as the leadership goes, so goes the nation, and sometimes we get the kings we want, but man, he repented, and he meant it, but doom and gloom is still on the way. I'm not preaching doom and gloom today, but I am, because sometimes God allows us, and we need to go, thank you, Lord, that this is happening. You know, I was listening to Ravi Zacharias' book, um, Revolution and World Missions, and he's talking about these missionaries in India or going to North India where there's a lot of persecution and stuff. And they're talking about their kids going hungry, and they don't have food, and they close the shutters at night because their kids are crying. But yet they're joyful because they know that they're there for God's reason, and God's going to care for them in the end. I'm going, man, Lord, I, I, can't, I don't think I can, I can't do that. I'm having a hard enough time, you know, being away from my family four or five days and video chatting with them at night. I don't know if I could rejoice in that. Man, Lord, would you fix me? <laughs> because we get so comfortable, guys. You know, I'm, my life's comfortable. But really, you know, God wants to do great things in each one of us, and sometimes he has to let big explosions happen before he can bring that newness of life. You know, if Jesus didn't die first, we wouldn't have eternal life. We'll go on here. We're going to close out in a minute. He says, followers, you know, that followers become examples. You know, that, uh, verse 7, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia, I believe, for from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, and in these places and everywhere. Your faith toward God has gone out. But that followers become examples, that in order to be an example, you must be a follower. You know, you can't lead others to some place you've never gone before. You know, it's like, before I'd gone to Maryland, I couldn't tell people really where to go, but a coworker emailed me uh, last week, and she was like, I'm thinking about going to D.C. Got any suggestions? You know, she'd been there before around, you know, this time of year when the flowers bloom. And this time I could say this, this, you know, I still don't know everything, but I was like, you could stay here. You know, the metro's right here. It's only 10 minutes in, right down to all the monuments, and it's this much, and this is a good hotel because I've stayed at a bunch of hotels down there. So I've been there, so I can kind of give her some advice. You know, otherwise, what can I do? Go online and Google, and you could go here for, you know, I'm, it just wouldn't be the same. It wouldn't have the same depth or the same goodness to it. In the same way, we can't be godly examples until we're followers. You know, it's just like, you know, you see people who want to proclaim the gospel, proclaim some goodness, but their life doesn't match up. It's like, well, that's, that might be why there's a disconnect. But I think it's cool that, that they are examples, that as they followed, that out of their hardship became the biggest example. Because what kind of example is it? I mean, think of Job. Job was blessed. Job had this great life. You know, God gave him these kids and all this money and wealth and prestige and political power and influence. 
And Satan comes up to God when all the angels are meeting together. And God goes, Satan, what are you even doing? What are you doing here even? <laughs> Didn't I kick you out? What are you doing back here? And he goes, oh, I've been going to for all the face of the earth. And God goes, oh, yeah, you have. Have you seen my servant Job? Satan goes, yeah, he only blesses you because you give him everything. And God goes, okay, well, I know that's not true. Why don't you take everything away from him, but you can't touch his life. And Satan goes, yeah, I'm going to go destroy him. I'm the destroyer. And goes down there. And what happens to Job's life? Job's life gets trashed. Job's life gets boils and destroyed and his kids die. His wife doesn't die. There's a joke there I've heard before. You know, <laughs> she pounds into him. Not my wife, man. My, yeah. But at the end of it, he's like, God, you're God. And God gives him this speech at the end and corrects him and God blesses him twice over. You know, and what kind of example is that? That his life still stayed faithful despite all that he lost. And from that, he was doubly blessed. Same thing with us guys. If we're, our life is good all the time, quote-unquote good, we have food, we have clothing, we have shelter, we have all these other things in our life. And yeah, God's blessed me. And people might receive from that, especially people in lack might receive from that and go, yeah, you know what? I probably should turn my life around. You know, I see how God really has blessed you and I know that God would bless me. But how much more does it speak when, when you've lost all that and you're at your wit's end and yet you still go, God is good. I trust him, and he's never let me down. It's like, but you've lost everything, but I haven't lost everything. You know, you can think of guys like Pastor John Corson, who's lost his family, and yet he knows that they're in heaven. And then he still goes on, and God's used that in mag- magnificent ways. And God's going to use hard times, tragic times in our lives, if we would just give them to the Lord, and he'll bless it multiple times over. You know, we're going through a hard season in this body together, but we're going through it together with the Lord, and I know God's going to bless it. And not to be like, if you... Put in $1, God's going to give 10 because it's not about that at all. But if you come in and give your heart to the Lord, how much more is he going to bless the body? Maybe we'll lose the building. Maybe all these other things will fall apart and we'll be meeting in the parking lot next week. Who cares? God's going to bless us through those things because this doesn't matter. This is all going to burn. And I know you guys are examples. You know, I was talking with someone before that it's been such a blessing to see how you guys have handled so many situations in the past few years as a body, personally, corporately, all sorts of different things, and come together and loved on each other. That's an example. We go like, just like I said, I don't need to tell you anything. just need to remind you guys because you're doing it. You're loving each other. You're looking to Jesus for the answers of things. And what better answer can we have? You know, that's great that I can go, okay, I can go to Maryland and be okay with it because I know you guys are looking at Jesus. I know you guys will be okay no matter who's up here technically sharing the word with you or, or leading you because you're following Jesus. You're not following anyone. And I know that because I know a lot of you personally and the things that you guys have shared with me lately. It's like, man, that's it. That's it. Let's go on and read the last two verses here. <clears throat> For they themselves, verse 9, declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. You follow, you lead, others follow, others lead. That's healthy growth. Healthy growth. It's not in numbers, it's in depth. As you grow deeper with the Lord, the people around you begin to be drawn to the Lord. As they're drawn to the Lord, other people around them are drawn to the Lord. And we all grow and grow and grow and grow healthy. 
not in an unhealthy way. Like Jesus said, the church was going to grow and from a little seed to this big tree and these weird birds are going to nest in it because it's got unhealthy growth. But know that when God begins to let you grow, he's also going to prune you so that you grow healthier. So again, it's good sometimes when we lose things. But you guys are following. And because of that, you guys are leaders. I would say that every one of you in here is a leader. You're leading. You know, everyone in here can look around at everyone else and be encouraged to come to church again because they see someone else sitting here. That's a tiny thing. Imagine all the other things when you begin to talk to people and share with people and spend time with people. But your fruit will speak of you. Your fruit speaks of you. What comes out of your life is representative of your life, right? Like, you don't go to an apple tree and get an orange. You might go, did I go to the wrong tree? (laughs) You know, if you drank, you know, I've had it before. Like, I've had, like, a soda can or a drink, and I thought it was soda, but it was iced tea, and I went to, you know, drink it thinking it was soda and it was iced tea, and I want to spit it out because I thought it was flat. You know, it's like what's in our life is going to be representative of what our life, you know, what comes out of our life. You know, that computer term, garbage in, garbage out, you know? And the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. You know, I see my kids doing certain things or behaving certain ways, and I go, um, you know, it doesn't fall far from the tree. It's like, wow, okay, they are like me or they are like their mom in good ways and in, and in ways that aren't so fun <laughs> sometimes. Matthew seven fifteen through 20, Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. When people come in to share the gospel, you're going to know who they are and what they are by the fruit of their life, by the fruit of their ministry. Is it always about money? Is it always about this? Is it always about that? Is it always about Jesus? Are people getting saved through it? Yeah, a lot of people get saved in ministries that are kind of bogus. And God does that, but I hope that they would begin to realize that they need to grow and grow deeper. You know, the the fruit and the work of a ministry is the people are the ministry. Is what's happening in the people's lives? Is there is there growth going on? You know, false prophets. You know, I read back uh, when I first prepared this message that there was some guy claiming to be Jesus. I mean, that's nothing new, right? We hear about that a lot. But uh, his followers were getting like six 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 tattooed on them. They said, oh, it's not the mark of the devil. It's the mark of true believers. They were twisting scripture, etc. There was this guru in India having people castrate themselves to go to what they call heaven, a false heaven. You know, imagine if I sat up here and I said, you guys all need to castrate yourselves to go to heaven. <laughs> and uh, we'll be having a castration service after in the cafe. You know, cheesecake to, to cheer you up afterwards. But I wasn't castrated. That's what this guy was doing. Taking their money having them do these things, and this guy was suing them. That's what's out there, guys. Craziness. Craziness. But people buy in hook, line, and sinker. Because they don't know the word. They don't know the truth, or maybe they've tasted the truth, but what we've given them is that nasty plate of prime riff we talked about before. But it says here that these guys were genuine. Why? Because, and their message went out, because they turned from idols to God. The Thessalonians used to worship their idols, used to bow down and bring sacrifices to these false gods, and then they began to worship the true and living God, and their life was changed, 
And that message went out everywhere. That's repentance in a sentence. Repentance in a sentence. That's my John Corson, whoever want to be impression. Repentance in a sentence. Because they went from idols to God. And that's the same thing in your life and my life. When we, when we stop worshiping false idols, and we start worshiping the living God who gives us resurrected life, people begin to notice. We don't even need to say things half the time. They go, well, why don't you drink anymore? Why don't you do this anymore? Why do you do that? You really believe that? You used to believe that. You know, my wife would share with me some of the things she used to believe before she got saved, and she would even talk to her parents and get mad at her parents for the things that they believed, and then she gets saved, and she goes, it makes total sense. It makes total sense now. I would never even think that anymore. And that's the message that goes out. Repentance. That's the message that changes lives, not put on something new and religious, but that your life would be different. Say, this is totally wrong. I agree with you, God. I'm going to go the other way now. Matthew 3, 4-12 through 12 says, Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his weed into the barn, and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Wow, welcome to church, John the Baptist. Imagine that, John the Baptist is here, and that's the message you get. Who told you to come to church today, you brood of vipers? Who told you to come to repentance, you sinners? And they're all religious people. They were all Christians. You know, they weren't Christians because they were Jews, but in modern terms. And he goes, man, who told you to come? Who told you to come and repent? Because you guys aren't repentant of anything. You guys are whitewashed tombs, as Jesus said. He says, Jesus has got his winnowing fan, guys. He's going to clean out his house. He's going to clean up the floor. He's going to get rid of all the false teachers, false believers, people who are wolves and are hurting people. And he's going to come in and let the wheat grow and take his wheat home because he cares about his people. And God cares about you and me, and he's going to do that sometimes. He's going to have to take people out and bring people in and take things out and bring things in that we might be healthy. And we might be okay. But when you repent, which these guys weren't coming to repent, they were coming to do what was fashionable and kind of get in there and sneak in and see what this baptism is all about and maybe get people to turn away from the baptism and come back to the synagogue. He says, when you repent, you know, you will be free to receive all God has for you. You know, there's this idea of a raccoon trap. It's like a hole and in it they put like a piece of fruit and there's all these nails pointed down in it. And raccoon will come along and stick his little paw in there and grab the fruit and try and pull his hand out. And he can't pull it out. It starts getting jabbed and jabbed and cut and ow. And if he just dropped the piece of fruit, he could take his hand out. But he doesn't. He stays in there, and then the guy comes along and makes him into a hat. <laughs> and we do that too. We do that too. But that's repentance going, this is not working. 
ow, 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 oh, there's someone coming for me. I need to let go of this and run back into the woods. That's repentance. You know, Jesus was raised from the dead. You know, the resurrection is the groundwork of our faith. Paul also says that if the resurrection isn't real, that we're the most pitiable. That if we're believing in our hope in the resurrection and forgiveness of sins, that we're the most pitiable. Because what are we believing in? If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, then there's no forgiveness of sins. Because I could say the same thing. I'm going to die for all your sins. I'm going to die on the cross, and then I die, and then I don't come back, and you're not saved. But Jesus came back, and that's why we can put our hope in him. You know, if he's raised from the dead, he's coming again. Jesus is coming again. He's bringing us home, but he's bringing wrath on all those who deserve it. And to be honest, we all deserve it. It's just do we choose the wrath, or do we choose his grace? You know, he's the one who delivers us. Nothing else. You can't build an ark this time, guys. You know, I'm all kind of for-prepping in a certain sense because who knows, the economy could collapse and it's probably a wise idea in some imagination. But you're not going to be able to store up enough food for eternity. You're not going to be able to build a house that's strong enough to stop you from God's wrath. I mean, read Revelation. It's very clear about this. You know, if you want to avoid God's wrath, we got to be in Jesus. If you don't want to have to Suffer through life by rejoicing in all things, being thankful in all things, prayer for in all things, even when times that would cause suffering come. We can get through it, guys, in Jesus. So if you need Jesus, if you've never accepted the Lord in your life before, if you're here today and, and maybe something makes sense, maybe the Word makes sense, maybe the worship, the time in music, you sense God. You didn't know what it was, but it was God. Now's the time to repent. The Bible says that it, there's only one thing to do to be saved. That's to believe in your heart that Jesus is God and that God raised him from the dead and confess with your mouth. It's not the action, that I confessed it and I said the right word, so I'm saved. It's you believe something, you say it. You know, you believe your team's going to win. You go, yeah, you know, you don't believe they're going to win. You go, uh, you know. You're out at the workplace and politics comes up and you believe something, you say it, or you run the other way because you don't want to say it because you're going to get angry or whatever it is. When you believe something, it comes out. It comes out. So if you want to turn from your sin today, if you want to repent and say the way I've been living my life has been wrong, God's way of life is, is right, and I need that, would you stand? Because the follow Lord is the stand. That's not standing for me. That's not standing for anyone else. That's standing for Jesus. And if you can't stand, you can raise your hand. And I'll pray with you. Again, you'll know it. Maybe you don't know it's God, but there's a tug in your heart right now. You might feel glued to your seat. You might feel stuck to your relationships. You might feel stuck to sin, saying, oh, I need to give up that before I come to God. No. You come to God, and he'll take it from you. So that's you. Why don't you stand? Lord, I thank you for your grace and I thank you for your forgiveness. And, and God, for those of you, for those of us who are in here, Lord, I pray that, God, you would begin to touch us and move us and help us to follow and heal and, and come together in you. And God, if there's anyone in here who doesn't know you, God, I pray that you would continue to convict them in a loving way and encourage them in a loving way to come to you and be free of their sin. And if they need to stand now, they can stand. Or if they need to be at home in their room like I was when I came to know you, Lord, May that happen by your spirit. And God, help us to follow you. Help us to be an example. 
especially in hard times, and to love each other. But God, that we would follow you always. And God, would you come soon? And really, Lord, help us to trust you no matter what comes our way. And uh, God, would you, would you use us? And bless this body and bless our day. And uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Um, we'll see you back here Wednesday for chapter two. And if you need prayer for anything, please just see someone around you, and they'll be more than happy to pray for you. So have a good day.